Look at Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4 is probably one of the most well-known parables in the Bible. And um, I want you to realize something before we start reading. Does everybody know the parable of the sower? Well, let's read it and then I'll, I'll, we'll explain some stuff later. Let's read it first. It says, He began to teach again by the sea, and such a very large crowd gathered to him that he got into a boat in the sea and sat down, and the whole crowd was by the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables and was saying to them in this teaching, Listen to this. Behold, the sower went out to sow. And as he was sowing, some seed fell beside the road, and the birds came and ate it up. Other seed fell on the rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of soil. And after the sun had risen, it was scorched. Because it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up, and they choked it, and it yielded no crop. Other seeds fell into good soil, and as they grew up and increased, they yielded a crop and produced 30, 60, and 100 fold. He was saying, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. What's the next verse say? As soon as he was alone, his followers, along with the 12, began asking about the parables. Now his followers, we know that he probably had at least over 70 followers, and then the 12. But you notice, he doesn't start explaining it until he's alone. Isn't that weird? To me it is. Because we all know what the parable means, right? But you've just come to see Jesus. You've come to see the big God man. You've, you've come to see the preacher. And you're going to learn something about the kingdom of heaven. He gets up, and all he tells you is, if seed falls on a road, it won't grow. If seed falls on rocky ground, it might grow for a little bit, but it won't grow for long. If seed falls on thorny ground, it'll grow, but then it'll get choked out. And if seed falls on good ground, it'll produce. Then he goes away. See, you all know that the seed is the word. You all know that the, the soil is your heart. But the people at the time didn't know that. All they know is we came to see Jesus and we hear a farming story. And it's not even a deep farming story. It's stuff all we all know. You know, they're living in an agrarian society. They know that if you throw seed on a, on a rock, it won't grow. They get that. And he just walks away. And the only people that get the explanation are the ones that follow him up there to ask him, what does it mean? You've got to understand that a lot of times we just want to be spoon-fed everything, but you've got to know that, that the hungry will always get fed. Jesus said, seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open for you. Ask and you will receive. God doesn't want to keep anything from you. He's not trying to hide things from you. He wants them for you, but you've got to seek them. You've got to go after it. You say, well, you know, maybe, you know, if God wants me to hear that, he'll send somebody in my door. Maybe he will. He is a gracious and merciful God. But if you want it, you better leave your house and go get it. The woman with the issue of blood didn't say, well, if God wants me healed, Jesus will come and find me. She says, if I can go touch his garment, I will be made whole. So she goes. And she's, she's unclean by the Mosaic law. She's not even allowed to go out in public. She says, forget that. Who's Jesus with at the time? He's with the ruler of the synagogue, the one guy that could bust that lady. She says, I don't care. I can go find him. I'm going to break my way through the crowd. If I have to crawl through them, if I have to, if I have to push people out of the way, I will. You see, God's looking for people like that. Jesus tells a great parable 
But the only people that get the meaning are the ones that follow him up. Another, another book in, uh, that tells the same story in the Gospels, just from a different perspective, says he goes up the mountain a ways. And they follow him up the mountain and go, okay, what does that mean? Seriously. Farming? We get it. It'd be like if I came to you and go, I'm going to tell you something deep, guys. Just get ready for it. You know, if you went snowboarding or skiing and there was no snow, you wouldn't have a good time. <laughs> In fact, you couldn't get very far at all. But if there was a little snow, you could have a little fun. You'd probably still have a bad time. But... There's times where there's snow and rain at the same time, and there'll be icy conditions, and you'll fall down. Ah, but there's the times where there's perfect white, powdery snow that falls, and it's deep, and you have a great time. Be blessed. We'll see you. Have a great lunch. Have a great week. God bless you. (laughs) Thank God. I got a word from the Lord today. Changed my life. Honey, get the skis. You should hear what he preached. He's like, it was like meteorologist and preacher all in one. <laughs> but at some point, you've got to say, I know that's supposed to mean something. How many of you have ever thought that? Somebody said something, you heard something in church, and you just go, I'll let it slide. I don't get it, I'll let it slide. Just Maybe when Tracy Harris was here. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> He's way up there in the clouds. I don't get it. You know what God wants you to do? You know you're expected to do something here. You're disciples. Don't, don't just leave and say, well, I didn't get it. Follow them up and say, what did that mean? Even if you don't get a chance to talk to the, the guy that said it, talk to the one who wrote it. Say, God, what did that mean? You know, the Bible says that you've been given the Holy Spirit who will lead you and guide you in all truth. Everything he hears. Jesus said everything he hears. Don't you figure he hears a lot? But everything he hears, he will reveal to you. He will disclose it to you. You have a a secret teller. We've got a tattletale. The Holy Spirit wants to tell you these things. The Bible says the anointing abides within you, and it's able to teach you all things. So if you want to know what something means, seek it out. Find it. Get in the Word. Call somebody who, who knows something. Pray and let God show you. But you can't just expect that if God wants me to know it, he'll spoon feed it. Now he's looking for disciples that are hungry. So the first step is they ask. Well, let's look what Jesus says to them. While he's alone, they say, what does this mean? What does this parable mean? He was saying to them, to you, it has been given the mystery of the kingdom of God. But those who are outside... Get everything in parables. Now you say, well, oh, there you go. God picked them to get it, but nobody else to get it. Well, you know he called the 12, right? What about the 70 that were following? What about those other people? It says the followers and the 12. He didn't, he didn't pick all of them. I mean, we know that he chose them in, in the grand scheme. He said, you didn't choose me, I chose you. Yes, we know that. But he didn't say, you follow me, you follow me. There were some that just said, I, he's got the words of life and I'm going to follow. The 12 may have been called by name, 
And we know that the Holy Spirit says nobody can come through the Father except the Spirit draws them. We know that the Holy Spirit was working on those other followers, that God ultimately did draw them, but they had to choose, I'm going to leave some stuff behind for something that's worth so much more. And they become followers. And he begins to say to them, to you it's been granted to know this. Why? Because you cared enough to follow me up the mountain. Because you cared enough to leave everything else and say, he's worth following. And when you did, here's what he tells them. He says, to you it's been granted to know the mystery of the kingdom. To those who are outside, they get everything in parables so that while seeing, they may, not, they may see and not perceive. While hearing, they may hear and not understand. Otherwise, they might return and be forgiven. And he said to them, do you not understand the parable? How will you understand all the parables? So what does this tell you? If you understand this, you'll get a lot of the other ones. This is a key to the other parables. And you're still going to need the Holy Spirit. This is not national treasure, and this is the clue that you know, all of a sudden you can unlock everything. But he says, if you understand this one, if you can't get this one, you can't get the other ones. This is a foundational parable. He said, Do you, how are you going to understand all the other parables? The sower sows the word. So in this case, Jesus was the one sowing the word. He throws it out there. He scatters it. He, he, he puts it out there. He says, the sower sows the word. These are the ones who are beside the road where the word is sown. And when they hear, immediately Satan comes in and takes away the word which has been sown in them. So these are the hard-hearted people. These are the guys that come to church they're not quite sure what to believe. They're not quite sure what to think. Or maybe you've been born again for a while. But you've gotten so used to listening and not doing. The word hits you and it bounces right off. Don't think that it'll just sit there. And three weeks later you can say, well, you know what, maybe I'll pay attention. It sits there. And what happens? Immediately. Immediately. Satan comes and takes away that word. First thing you've got to do is open up your heart. Anytime the word is open, anytime you open your Bible, anytime you have a conversation with somebody where, the, where God's being talked about, you've got to let that word sink in. You've got to let it get past, let it get past that, you know, let it get past all your prejudices about what it might mean. Let it get past your 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 preconceived notions let it get past your brain let it get right into your heart say okay I may not get it but I understand I understand and I know that it's from God it's from me and all right I receive that I'm going to keep it then it says the next thing that happens so it goes past that initial stage it goes past that surface of the soil and it says in a similar way these are the ones on whom seed was sown in the rocky places who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. These are the ameners. These are the shouters. These are the ones that go out and say, that was a great message. Did you get it? You got to get it on CD. I'll, I'll lend it to you. I'll burn you a copy. These are these people. They're excited. Now, I've been this person where I was just, you know, I was excited, and then I kind of forgot like a week and a half later what was ever said. But I liked it at the time. Maybe it was funny, or maybe, maybe it really did get you excited. Maybe it really did go, go down. It says something springs up pretty quick. And I've met these people. I've been this guy. Where something, you hear the word, you get so excited about it, that something actually springs up faster than everybody around you. You're actually growing. You seem to be growing really fast. But you never had any root. You never really let it go deep down. It just kind of stayed 
right underneath the surface of what you believe. You know, the next time, and you're these kind of people, this is the shallow-hearted people, and these kind of people are always looking for the next really good sermon. They're looking for the next really good book. They're looking for the next thing that really just gets them pumped up. But you can't live like that, just hype to hype, you know, just trying to stay on the latest fad and latest trend. I mean, you've got to at some point let the word go down and take some root in your life so that it can't get tugged up, so that it won't go. And you know what? Guess what? People don't see the roots. They see the fruit in your life, but they don't see the roots. And sometimes you may, be, you may seem to other people like you're moving kind of slow. Like, you know, you should be, you know, catching on faster. Or maybe you should have already been in that ministry. You know, Jared, maybe God said something to you about where you're going to be in, in a few years. Or maybe God said, this is, this is what you're going to do with the rest of your life. You know, everybody could look at Jared and say, well, why aren't you there yet? Why aren't you there yet? I heard what God said to you. Why aren't you there? Well, it could be that Jared is developing roots that you can't see before he develops those branches and that big fruit that you can see. Let the roots go down because you know what? If the roots go down, you realize the higher the tree goes, the easier it is to catch the wind and the storm and all those things. The bigger your ministry is, the bigger your job is in the kingdom, the easier it is, and the more of the, of the enemy's attack you're going to catch. The more wind you're going to catch, the more storm you're going to catch, you better have the roots to sustain that growth. Not only that, but the bigger that thing gets, the more water it's going to need, more nutrients it's going to need, and it's going to have to get that from the soil. And I'm going to tell you, because this is from my personal life, and it's going to tie into the next thing he says, but it's so easy to get so busy. The next, the next group he's talking about is, is the busy, but this ties in with this as well. Your spiritual gifts, your spiritual life, your, what people see in the ministries and the things you do, they can never outpace the relationship you have with Jesus. They can never outpace your spiritual life at home. Because I've seen preachers, guys, I've been around this stuff all my life. Grew up in a preacher's family, grew up in a pastor's family. My parents, thank God, were always a good example for me. But I saw men and women all over the place drop like flies, big ministries, things like that. And they just went away. And you may think that's a reflection on Jesus, but it's not. You know what happens? I'm just going to be real easy, real straight with you. You know what happens? You get so big. And you start living on the past revelation, the past things that God's done. And you get so busy taking meetings here and meetings there. And you know what? You know what you sacrifice? That alone time. You sacrifice that time with the Lord that, you, that, that started the ministry, that birthed it inside of you, that, that kept you growing. You know what happens? You're getting bigger and bigger and everybody can see you. But if those roots aren't there, the storm comes, you get knocked down. And you may say, well, that's not me. I'll never be in that. You know what? Whatever God called you to, that's your ministry. Whatever God called you to. I don't care if you preach. I don't care if you, you know, if, if, you're, if you're called to prophesy or pray or whatever, or, or serve or wipe floors, whatever. Whatever he called you to, you've got to do it. And the Bible says in, in Second Peter, it's, or First Peter, it says, whoever speaks, speak as the utterances of God. Whoever serves, serve in the strength that God gives so that all of us 
will be good stewards of the manifold grace of God. So you need to do whatever you do. You've got to do it by the strength of God. You've got to do it by the grace of God. Amen? All right, so let's look at the rest. He said, okay, so you've got, the, you've got a hard heart, you've got a shallow heart. Now we're going to get on to the busy heart. It says, these are the ones in whom the seed was sown among the thorns. These are the ones who've heard the word. But the worries of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word. Listen to this. It becomes unfruitful. Do you know what I get from these two words? It becomes unfruitful. Sounds to me like it once was fruitful. But it became unfruitful. Now, you judge this for yourself. But I think the number one culprit in this little verse, cares of this world, worries of this world, deceitfulness of riches and desire for other things, sounds like he's talking about your job. Not just your job. There's other things. There's your kids. There's all these other things. But I think your job is probably the number one culprit here. You let your job take over your life. God gave you that job to be a light, to glorify him. That's not supposed to take over your life. It's not your identity. I mean, what are you? Who are you? What do you do? Well, I, I'm, I'm an oil rig worker. That's not who you are. That's, what you, that's your job. That's one of your jobs, but it's not your identity. It's not your call. Who you are is who he made you to be. Who you are is a minister of reconciliation. Who you are is a light in the darkness. Who you are is the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You're not that rig worker. You are something else. And God puts you in those oil rigs as a light for him. And when he tells you to leave, you leave. When he tells you to stay, you stay. And if they offer you a promotion, hey, that could be a promotion from God. That could be a favor of God promoting you like he promoted Joseph. But you better be sure he tells you to take that promotion because the devil knows how to open doors too. And it could be that that promotion gets you more money but takes you away from the things of God. You need to hear from God. You're, you're living, I mean, he's your source. He's your provider, not your job. So we take the opportunities he tells us to take. And as believers, sometimes the cares of this world and the desires for other things are even us trying to do ministry stuff. But you're just trying to do it in your own strength. You're trying to figure it out. You're trying to say, if I do more of this or if I do more of that, I'll have more of an impact. Do you know how Jesus said you'd bear more, more fruit? When he talks about being attached to the vine, that's the first way you bear fruit, right? Being attached to him, abiding in him. What was the other thing? He said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. But the other thing he says, what, what was the father? The father was the guy who dresses the vine. He prunes the vine. Apparently, and if you want to bear a lot of fruit, you've got to be plugged into Jesus, and you've got to be able to cut some things out of your life. Right. We always think that to bear more fruit, I need more branches. If I'm going to do more for God, I just need to be busier. But that's not the truth. That's the world's way of thinking of it. That's a mammon system. That's the way the world thinks. The world thinks the more hours you put in, the more you get out. But that's not the kingdom way. Kingdom way is to do what he says to do. Say what he tells you to say. This is what Jesus said. I only do what he tells me to do. I only say what he tells me to say. I'm not going to go out and say, well, you know, if I can hit just three more villages, then the kingdom will be bigger. No, he did exactly what the Father said. Do you remember when he sent out the disciples, two by two, and he sent them out? And what did he say? He said, you go, he says, preach the kingdom, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, freely you've received, freely you've given. Now, we like that part, right? 
I want to go out and cleanse the lepers. I want to raise the dead. I want to preach the kingdom. I want to see the sick healed. I want to see the blind eyes opened. Do you know what he said when they came back? Go rest. Did you know that when he said go rest, that's just as powerful as when he said go heal. It's just as much a word from the master. You can't say, well, it's, it's more holy if I listen to you when you say go heal the sick. But, but it's okay. I get what you're saying. You want to give me a rest, but I'd rather just keep working. No, when the Father says, when the Master says, go rest, go rest. You can do more from a place of rest than you ever could do on your own. See, you think God rests on the seventh day? You think He actually was tired? You think He was worn out? He's the ancient of days. He's infinitely strong. He's got all the power in the world. Oh, yeah, but I need a rest. He didn't need that. I mean, he didn't need to rest because he was tired. But he showed us what rest really was. So guess what, guys? You want to think like the world? Yeah. Burn yourself to the, um, just burn that wick all the way down. Work night and day. Don't get any sleep. Don't don't spend any time with your family. But that's not God's way. God's way is to do what he tells you to do when he tells you to do it. He says, really? What's going to choke the word out of your life is busyness. Busyness. Can we describe most North Americans, most Albertans and Saskatchewanians? Do we say Saskatchewanians? What do we say? Saskatchewans? No. You're pranking the pastor. That can't be right. Uh, Saskatchewanites, whatever they are. Most Prairie Province people. Triple P. Most Prairie Province people. Most North Americans. Most people in this city are way too busy. You know, we need to calm down for a second and figure out what we're supposed to be doing and what we're not supposed to be doing. Cut off the stuff you're not supposed to be doing and make this word the most important, valuable thing in your life. Make, make the relationship with Jesus the most valuable thing in your life. Spend time in his presence because that's where you'll be refreshed. And I know we've said this before, and sometimes we feel like, you know, I'm just too tired. I'm too tired to really get into the Word. I'm too tired to pray. I'm too tired to spend time in his presence. You're too tired not to. That's where you get life from. That's where you get your energy from. It's a lie that tells you that will drain your energy. That's gonna, not going to drain you. It's going to build you. It's going to cause you to grow. It's going to give you life. So valuable. Do you see? Now, I know that today you're one of four of these hearts, right? You're either the, shallow, you're either the hard heart, the shallow heart, the busy heart, or the good heart. Now remember, he says the good heart, let me read that before I go into the rest thing. He says in verse 20, and these are the ones on whom the seed was sown on the good soil, and they hear the word, listen, they hear it, they accept it. You know, you can hear it and not accept it. They hear it, and they receive it. They accept it, and they bear fruit, 30, 60, and 100 fold. They bear fruit. He doesn't say they've got a better shot at bearing fruit. He says they, they bear fruit. That's just what happens. When you receive the word, it just happens. Fruit is not something you, you cause to happen. It's something that flows out of a spirit-filled life. 
is something that flows out of a life led by the Spirit. You can't make fruit happen. It happens because that's, you're, you're plugged into Jesus. You're, you're filled with the gifts. You're, I mean, you're flowing out. So the fruit of the Spirit is not something you have to say, boy, I've got to try harder with the fruit of the Spirit. You need to develop that relationship with God, and the fruit will come. So thank God. In all these things, we all want to be that last heart, right? We want to be the good heart. You know, not only did he talk about different types of soil, but they all were different levels, weren't they? That first one didn't even crack the surface. The second one did, but it didn't go very deep. The third one did, but it was in a busy, crowded with thorns area. The fourth one went deep down into good soil. I'm going to challenge you to think about this, that today, this morning, the word that you have will be tested. Something will be tested in your life. And I'm not saying that it's God. I'm saying that just as Satan went and said to, and Jesus said it to Peter, says Satan's desired to come and try to sift you through his hands like wheat. Why would he do that? Why would you sift? Because what, what, when someone picks up, I mean, when they're picking up wheat, you saw the disciples did it when they were with Jesus. They're, they're sifting, they're removing the chaff, and they're finding, you know, the, the stuff that's the grain that's good to eat, right? I'm not saying that Satan thinks you're tasty and wants to eat you. I'm not saying that. Don't, don't get off on that. But to sift you like wheat. Man, he was going to separate and find out what was real and what was fake. He was going to find out if you really were who you said you were. And really what he was testing in Peter was his relationship with Jesus, was whether he was a real disciple. Remember, Jesus said, don't worry, I'm praying for you. You're mine. You're mine. I picked you. He said, you're engraved on the palm of my hand. Satan can't take you. When he's testing you, when he's trying to, to shake your foundation, there's nothing he's got that can challenge what you have. But you've got to receive the word so deep and let it sink down in there so that when things come to shake your foundation, you're not even worried. Remember, he said, Jesus said, the difference between the guy who built on a sand and the guy who built on the rock is one simple thing. It says they both came to Jesus. They both heard now, so many times we think of the guy who built a house on the sand as the guy that never came to church. We think of him as the guy that never heard the words of Jesus. But Jesus said, the guy who built his house on the sand came and he heard my words, but he didn't do them. But the guy who built it on a rock came, heard, and did. And it says when the storm came, his house wasn't shaken. His house wasn't knocked down. Now, we've talked about this before, but I want to say again. When storms come, how you react depends on what kind of structure you're in. That's right. yeah. My wife came from Washington, Spokane, Washington. Take notes. No, I'm just kidding. Um, she came from Spokane, Washington, and they don't have near the kind of thunderstorms that we have. We have amazing thunderstorms here, especially in the summertime, and I love them. My wife's like, I'm plugging everything. I said, you're fine. You're fine. She's like, should we get away from the window? I said, get closer to the window. That's where the storm is. I said, I grew up with this stuff. This is what I like. You know, but she's heard horror stories of people. And I said, you're fine. Should we go to the basement? I said, it's just a thunderstorm. Now, she's used to it now. This is the first year that we were married. 
But you know, I love thunderstorms. I love them. I love them. I love when it gets really crazy outside because I know I'm secure inside. Now, I'm not saying you're going to love bad situations, you're going to love storms, but you're not going to freak out and panic. You know what I mean? When stuff starts to shake around you, when, when things start going not the way they should go, when things, you know, when, when there's an attack on your life and there's just things going on that you say, that's not from God, I don't know what this is, but it's shaking things around me. When you're in a solid foundation, when you're in a solid house, you're not freaking out like everybody else because you know where your foundation is, you know your roots go down deep, you know that you're built on the rock and you're not going anywhere. You can stand strong. You can say, okay. It's like Brother Fresh was sharing. Being able to stand up and say, no, this isn't right. Though everything else looks bad, I know what the Word says. We said this, I said this a couple weeks, but you know, I read Psalm 91 and I'm just, I love Psalm 91. But I love it for a couple of reasons. Some of you heard me say this. I think it was a Wednesday night. When I read Psalm 91, and he talks about a 1,000 people falling at one side and 10,000 at the other. You know, some of you heard me say this, but you know that this isn't just some neat little poet who decided to think up some hypotheticals about what would happen. I imagine a 1,000 might fall at my side and 10,000 at my right hand. Oh, arrows might fly by day. and You know, no. This isn't some poet that just says, God loves me so much that I imagine he'd do all this for me. This is a guy who's been in battle. He's seen thousands fall. He's seen arrows fly by his head. So he's not just dreaming up what might happen. He's been there. This is a guy who's proven it out. Proven that when everybody else is falling, if I've got a word from the Lord, I'm not shaken. It's a guy like the Apostle Paul who says, okay, we may be about to be shipwrecked, but I'm going to tell you, all of you out, you guys, cheer up, because the Lord said, I'm going to Rome, and this isn't Rome. So if I, if I wreck here, we're going to survive, because I still have to go to Rome. And when a snake bites him in the arm, he calmly shakes it off in the fire, because he goes, this also is not Rome. Let me shake this off in the fire. Because I know where Rome is, and this certainly is not it. And if God told me I'm going to Rome, that's where I'm going. See, if you have that foundation from the Word of God, you say, I know what He says, and I won't be shaken from it. And when everybody else is panicking, because what did all those, what did all those villagers say on the island? When he got bit by that snake, they said, it must be vengeance has taken, vengeance or justice but really, if you look that word up, he, they're not just talking about just the idea of vengeance or justice. It was justice personified. It was one of their gods. It was the daughter of Zeus, who was the goddess of justice. She said, justice finally got him. He may have survived a shipwreck, but he must be guilty because a snake bit him. Right? How many Christians do you hear that go, oh, that must be God's will because that's what happened. That's how pagans think. Here's how believers think. We know the will of God because he said it. I don't know the will of God in every situation. I don't know whether you're supposed to go to Pizza Hut today or whether you're supposed to go to, to, to Boston Pizza or whether you're supposed to just go home. But your wife does. 
<laughs> I know that story. My wife usually knows the will of God before I do too. But in all these things, I'm not saying, in, I mean, in every situation, you can look in the Bible and say, oh, it tells me I'm supposed to move to Winnipeg. Okay, in Ephesians 1, 2, Winnipeg, right there. No, you've got to seek God at times. But if you're led by circumstances and you let circumstances tell you what God's will is, that's how pagans think. Because if Paul had let circumstances tell him what God thought, he would have quit a long time ago. I must not be called to this. Because everywhere I go, people try to kill me with rocks. So this must not be my ministry. No, he just says, the word of the Lord came to me. I know what I'm called to, so I'm going. You realize that that's somebody who's let the word come and pierce down deep. And this thief can't steal from that person. He'll try. Let me tell you, he will try. He will try after this service. I'm not glorifying Satan here. I don't want to give him any more credit than he deserves, and he deserves none. I'm going to tell you, though, you will find attacks and things trying to take the word from you at every one of these stages. Immediately, after a little bit, and through your busy schedule, you've got to defend what God gave you. You say, okay, I'm going to defend the word of the Lord. You know what I learned today? What I learned today, I'm going to keep. Because I didn't just learn it up here. It went deep down into my spirit. And I'm going to believe it. Even when I look around and everything seems to go wrong, I'm going to believe it. I'm going to believe it. I'm going to fight for it. I'm going to stand. I'm going to pray over it. I'm I'm going to write it down and look at it. But I'm going to believe what God said. You've got to decide that now and later. See, I used to always think, because we know that The soil is what it is before the seed's even sown, right? Your heart's got to be good before it's even sown. But I do believe that you can keep that soil pure. You can keep that soil ready, and you can keep that that heart ready to receive. I mean, no matter how long you've been born again, always love the Word of God. Love the revelation of God. Get in those conversations where you're talking, and, and, and all of a sudden there's just that presence of God just in that conversation, and you learn something new. Always keep your heart in that position. Because when it does, you'll bear lots of fruit. But you've got to be willing to fight for it. You've got to be willing to keep it. You've got to be willing to say, I know that something's going to come and try to take this. But this is worth defending. I had lots of people I grew up with that knew and went so deep into the Word of God. So deep. And, they, and there were things that... Our forefathers fought revelations that they were put to death for. Guys, the apostles, except for John, were all put to death for this revelation. Reformers in the middle of, in the middle of, of church history were burned at the stake so that you could get this. Somebody had to fight. Somebody had to defend. Oh, the enemy tried to steal it at every point. Tried to kill the church, tried to squash it out, tried to rub it out. But you know that the enemy can't do that. Because the Bible says, Jesus said, from this rock I will build my church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. Don't, if it can't prevail against the church, don't let it prevail against you. Stand up, fight it. Well, I don't mean stand up for another. <laughs> I'm not trying to be overly militant here, but... I do know that in every one of your lives, something 
has challenged what you believe. You better not believe it because I believe it. You better not believe it because that's just the church that's closest to your house. You better not believe it because it was easier to believe it because that's the family you grew up in. You better believe it because you got it by revelation of God. That's why you have to believe it. If you're still believing stuff just because everybody else does, you've got to get, spend some time with the Lord, get your Bible out and say, God, you need to reveal this to me. I don't get it, but I need to get it. Because there will be an opportunity for that thing to be stolen from your life. And you know what? If you don't let it be stolen, it can't be stolen. Fight for it. Defend it. The Word of God is so precious in your life. Every revelation He's ever given you, every spiritual conversation you've ever had, every prayer meeting, every time you've ever been to church, that's worth fighting for. Keep it. By these word, by that prophetic word, every prophetic word spoken over you. Write it down. If it was from God. You know, I know that there's, there's prophetic and then there's flaky. I get it. But if it was from God, and you should know whether it was from God or not. If it was from God, you write it down, you pray over it, you keep it, and you say, all right, I don't know when this is happening, I don't know how long it is, but I'm standing on it, I'm not just letting it fly. I'm going to value what God said to me. Amen.